Hi everybody and welcome to the Junction Church Podcast. We pray that this message inspires and encourages you. If you would like to find out any more information about us, then please visit our website at www.thejunctionchurch.com. Thank you for listening. Moments you'll see our family. And let me give you a brief introduction before I get going here. You have our three daughters. You have um, on the one side our adopted daughter with our grandson and her husband and a son from the first marriage. Then you have Martin and I. Then you have Gabby. You have Ruben and Renee, our oldest biological daughter, and our little grandson. And we've just learned that the little granddaughter's on the way as well. So there we go. Well, let me give you a, a brief introduction so you can get to know me a little bit, and then I'll get right on with the message. I was born in Lisbon, Portugal, but my family moved to um, South Africa when I was a child in 1964 to escape the military dictatorship. Uh, we were under a dictatorship for many years with a man called Salazar. In Africa, I completed there my, my schooling, and I did my compulsory military training in, in one of Africa's forgotten wars. Nobody knows about that anymore. But in 1984, I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ after a series of tragic events involving demons of drugs and other things that eventually claimed the life of my older brother. Once saved, my desire was to serve the Lord Jesus Christ and give him the rest of my life. So I left, and I went to Portugal to study theology in 84. And from 84 to 87, I did my pastoral theology studies there. And that's where I met that sexy, good-looking young lady. (laughs) And from 1987 to 1989, I went on to the United States of America on an academic scholarship to do my Bachelor of Arts degree in theology. 89 was a great year because I traveled back to Portugal, and there I got married to Marta after dating her for five years. And and yes, we we did survive dating two years long distance without Skype and Facebook. (laughs) After working for one year as a firefighter and she as a secretary, we moved on then back to Africa our dream was to serve the Lord in the continent of Africa. You'll now have a picture of our church in Kishkais, and I'll carry on introducing uh, our story a little bit. From 1990, we pastored a church in Benoni, South Africa, and, and we served in several capacities in that city in Benoni. We were Supreme Court translators, prison chaplains, marriage license officers, very involved in the city, and at the same time completing our MA degree in theology, But our greatest joy in this life came when God gifted us with um, two wonderful girls, Renee Michaela and Kayla Gabriella, both made in Africa. (laughs) Just everything seems to be made in China nowadays. No. In 1996, we came back. God miraculously called us back to Portugal to to plant an international church. We planted um, Riverside as a home group that year, and in 98, the church became a legal entity and is one of just four or five English-language churches now in the greater Lisbon area. During this time, we also studied, and I completed my doctorate of ministry. Marta completed a BA degree. Uh, The the initial years of starting the church were very difficult for us because we both worked full-time and... uh, we also planted the church and tried to raise a family at the same time. But today, Riverside is a healthy, vibrant, and growing church. We have roughly 200 in our Sunday worship service that come from 25 to 30 nationalities in any given service. We have 17 life groups that meet during the week. 
the church is multicultural, multi-denominational, and you'll also see um, where our church is. If you know a little bit about Portugal, we have, there's a picture of our pastors of our other churches, ranging from Porto to Coimbra to Cascais and down to the Algarve. And above in the red, you'll see that's the motorcycle ministry that I also oversee as national leader of that ministry. And those are our chapter presidents from the different chapters that range all the way from the red in the north all the way to the south. And Marta leads up a ministry called Women Aglow. Do you guys know what that is? Okay, so her and her mom lead up Women Aglow Portugal. Now, I really got to show you this picture, the next one, because that's the only concubine I'm allowed to have. She's a great concubine, really faithful and beautiful. And she's a Honda Goldwing 1500. And she's the one that took me from Lisbon to Finland last year on a fundraising ride for our biker Bible. In the end, I do have some biker Bibles in the back, about five or six or seven. They are in Portuguese, but the biker Bible is a project that we, we reach out to bikers through the biker Bible. And it's just full color testimonies before and afterwards of our stories of how we came to faith in Christ with our bikes. And that Biker Bible has become one of the most popular books, in fact, the most popular book among bikers in Portugal. We have now distributed over 40,000 nationwide. And uh, it's our great evangelism tool. Before the Biker Bible, Portuguese people, bikers, didn't have a clue about the Bible. Nobody knew anything about the Bible. So it's a great little thing. I've got a few out there. In the end, if any of you know Portuguese guys around the city, because Portuguese is, they're, they're epidemic, they're everywhere, okay? So if you know anyone, just feel free to take a Bible and give it to them, a biker Bible. And they, they, they are stories and they can contact us through the biker Bible. Last year, we raised the funds for that fourth edition of the biker Bible. And that's why I rode to Finland. We also raised funds for a, a paraplegic young lady. Now, I also thought you'd enjoy this picture because that's quite a paradox, isn't it? <laughs> I'm also a chaplain serving in Portugal, the military and hospitals and prisons. So that's the total opposite of the spectrum. And I like to think of that as the Apostle Paul. To the Romans, we become Romans. To the Jews, we become Jews. We become all things in order to reach all people. So that we try to reach all people in our country. Both Marta and I also travel extensively in Portugal uh, and around the world. We are delighted also that all three of our children love and serve Jesus with passion. And it's great to see that legacy continue. And that's I think, is a man and a woman's greatest gift is to see their children love and serve Jesus. And if yours don't, we'll be praying with you that that'll come to happen. May the Lord really grant you that. I want to thank you guys for taking care of our daughter. Kevin and Cheryl and the Upton family, this church, we, we left our daughter here four years ago, and she continues to blossom into this amazing person that graduated from university and is going on to do great things, I believe, outstripping her dad by every means, and I hope so and pray so. And... Uh, and that's largely thanks to you guys. So thank you so much for the four years that you've put into her life. We really are grateful as mom and dad. Don't make me cry. Yeah. She, I just look at her and when she's in tears, okay, I've got to look this way. All right. Oh, my. And then I look at my wife and she's crying. Okay, let's, act. let's move on. Okay, I want, I want to shake things up a little bit. How many of you have got pens? If you've got your pen, take your pen out. We're going to have some interactive fun today and just work along together. If you don't have a pen, take out an iPad, take an iPhone, but you're going to want to write these things down. 
I decided to talk to you today about what it means to be a believer. What it means to be a believer. I think that one of the greatest needs we have in the world today is for believers. True believers. Amen. And so I want to unpack this, this concept of being a believer and what it means. Okay, and I'm going to try to do that in the time I have allotted. Here's the dictionary. The dictionary says, to believe is, to believe Webster's Dictionary, to accept as true and real, to credit with veracity, to have confidence in the truth or, or value of something or someone, to have firm faith in, especially religious faith, to trust what one has heard. So in light of this, we could say that a believer in Jesus is the person who accepts his words as true and real, who has confidence in the value of his teaching, and who has faith in him, and who trusts in him completely. That's a believer. So according to the Bible, uh, to be a believer is not simply to have cognitive belief, rational belief. It's not about the head. According to the Bible, um, to believe is to embrace Jesus Christ as your Lord wholeheartedly. It's to serve Him with all of your being, heart and soul. Okay? So... I think that the highest calling the church can have is for the church to duplicate believers, but true believers, followers of Jesus Christ. And, and my question is, are you a believer? Okay? Are you a believer? And uh, that's the artwork done by a guy in my church, and he really did a great, great thing with that little believer icon. Are you a believer? Am I a believer? Are we really believers? And as I think about this, I think, for example, last year I preached in a church in Brazil, Laguinha Batista Church in Belo Horizonte. That church numbers 42,000 on a Sunday. Okay? It's an amazing church. The temple is beautiful. They, they turn back services one after each other. And I thought, well, if Jesus with 12 changes the history of the world, how come with 42,000 we can't even change a city? Something is wrong with this picture when we have mega churches moving to cities and we can't impact, we can't even make a dent in our cities. That, that, that leads me to believe that the type of believer that we have today is not the type of believer that Jesus had. Something is radically different between the, the believers that Jesus had. And as I said, belief is not about the brain. Because the Bible says, and you've seen it up on there, James 2.19, you believe there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. But demons believe in God. So it's, it's not enough to simply believe in God. Believing in God is not going to change your city. It's not going to change your church. It's not going to change your life, your family. It's not going to do it. That's not going to do the work for you. So, so if, if I were to ask you, are you a believer today? Are you really a believer? Am I really a believer? If, if somebody was to ask my wife, who is Eddie? How would you define Eddie? You know, how would she reply to that? Well, when they asked Jesus, or when Jesus asked, Listen to what, what was asked of Jesus. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, who, the pe who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. But what about you, He asked. Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. If somebody asked me, uh, or your wife, my wife, your best friend, who is He? How would people reply? Would they say he's, he's a Messiah, he's an anointed one, he's a sent one, he's a son of God, she's a daughter of God? Or are we of the same substance, of the same quality, of the same fiber, of the same DNA as Jesus and his 12 disciples? Are we? Well, let's take a close word at this word believer. 
And by the way, this came to me just a couple of weeks ago when I was doing a military chaplaincy certification course. And uh, for some reason, either it was really boring or I had an epiphany or something, but this just hit me and I thought, wow, that's a great concept. So I want to share that with you. Okay? If you want to write down somewhere the word believer. Now, as I looked at that word, I thought about that and I thought, am I a believer? Well, let's unpack that a little bit. The word begins, and you may circle now in your, in your notes, circle that, bell, okay? We'll get it up on the screen there for you. Bell. Believer. Do you know who Bell is, or Bell was? He's the patron god of Babylon. You can find him mentioned in Jeremiah 50 and 51. You can find him in Isaiah 46. The god Bell even appears in the Apocrypha or what we call the Deuterocanonical books, which are in the Roman Catholic Bible, not in the Protestant Bible. It's the editions. Okay? The Babylonians, to the Babylonians, um, Bel was called Bel. To the Canaanites, he was called Baal. Baal. And do you know what Bel means? It literally means owner, or the one who exercises dominion over. In Assyrian mythology, Bel was the lord of this earth. Bel was to be rejected by the people of Israel who were to tear down his false idols and to lead people to the worship of the one true God and away from the worship of the God of this earth. The Bel-type people, I believe, are what are the Satanists. These are the Bel-type people. Their God is Satan. Satan sits on the throne of their lives. These you won't find in churches. They avoid churches like the plague. We won't spend too much of our time on these people, but these people are purely evil. They're people of evil. They want zero to do with God. The Bible teaches this about them. The Bible says, Matthew 25, 41. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. These are those people. These are the people that I don't get bothered with as a pastor because I don't think they show up in church on Sunday. They could. But I do pray for them. And I do pray especially for their victims. These are the people that blow themselves up and blow other people up by becoming suicide bombers. They, gay, they, they mow down people in gay nightclubs. They shoot children, like in Columbine and so many other cases. They gang rape people, like the 16-year-old who was gang raped by 32 men last month in Brazil. They bomb things like Madrid, London, New York, Afghanistan, and Iraq almost every day. They shoot MPs and take away lives of brilliant people. These are those kind of people. And if I had to define those people, and this, you can draw this, if, if this talks about our lives, okay, that's our lives, they're never meant to be ending. Okay, we're eternal beings. If you think that's our life, well, draw this. And that represents the throne of your life. Okay, so if this is your life, this is your physical body, your physical body holds your spirit, okay, one day we will break with this and we will blow out and we will not have the limitation of our physical body and our spirit will go on to live forever. If this could represent your soul. Okay? It's a place of decision making. It's the place of will. It's the place of power in your life. This controls. Your soul drives you. So if you think about this and then just draw this. A little hot stuff guy here. little fork. Okay? These are what the Satanists. Christ is outside of their lives and so is I. Their own personality is outside of their lives. Okay, these people are driven by pure evil. They are, they are people who just prefer, uh, just choose to do wrong, to, to sow terror. They have no concept 
they just, it's just not human. Uh, as I thought about that, and as we watched the news of that 32, 32 guys raping a 16-year-old girl, I thought that's got to be pure evil. That's not humane. You can't do that. Human beings, you can't do that. Something is wrong. That's demon possession at its worst. It's Satan on the throne of that life. But I don't want to talk about those. I want to talk now about these people. In the middle of the word believe is the letter I. I want to talk about the I people, the humanists. And, and these humanists, they many times sit in our churches disguised as believers. They really aren't believers. You see, Jesus is not their Lord. And even though they attend church, I clearly sits on the throne of their lives. I is in control. You see, that you see this by their actions. You see this by their reactions. You see this by their attitudes. You see this by the way they talk. Theirs is not a surrendered life. At the end of the day, it's their will and their way that will always prevail. These are the ones who love to quote verses like this, I can do all things, but they forget the rest of the verse. You know, the rest of the verse is through him who strengthens me, but they avoid that verse. You know, it's, it's all about me. I can do this thing. I'm going to sort it out. I'm in control. Their lives are centered on I. I sits clearly on that throne. It's all about me, myself, and I. It's about ego. It's about selfishness. It's about a way of seeing the world where I am at the center of my world. And I don't care who I hurt. I don't care what it takes to get me where I want to be. It's, it's all about me. My lips say they believe in Jesus. My words talk about Jesus. I even come to church. I even raise holy hands during worship. But my entire life denies who I believe in. So these are the people we could, we could do this. Okay? These are the people that Satan's not really on the throne of their life. I sits on the throne. I is in control. And, and really... Um, Here's what's happening. There's a battle going on. And the battle's going on to see who will possess, who will own, who will be Lord. And, and, and both Christ is knocking at the door and gently saying, allow me in. Behold, I'm standing at the door and knocking. Please let me in. But, but Satan's also saying, hey, I'm going around like a roaring lion. And I'm also looking for a place to get in here. So I want to dethrone your eye and I want to put myself. So there's a battle going on between the things of the spirit and the things of the flesh as these people... Um, haven't yet surrendered to either Satan or to Christ. Okay? Now, these are people that um, it's a hard time dealing with in church. <laughs> it's a hard time dealing with them in leadership. It's a hard time dealing with these kind of people if you ask them to do anything, to try and get them to work on a team. You know, for them to understand there's no I in team is really hard. Because on any team, they dominate the conversation. They're clearly in charge. And, and they, they just love themselves. They love to shine. You know, they want to be front stage all the time. You know, they don't want to be hidden in the back and cleaning up something where nobody's seeing. They want to be visible. They want to be known. Difficult people to deal with. I've had my share of them <laughs> over the years. Not easy. But, but then I want to talk about these other people. Okay? And these other people, will, when we get to the next slide, you'll see and you can just see what's hidden in that word. Okay? These are what I call, sorry, these are what I call the people of the lie. Alright? Who are the people of the lie? These are your atheists. But they're atheists that sit in our church, they're also disguised as believers. People of the lie say they believe in God, but really deep down they don't believe in God. 
They question His word constantly. They have doubts. They struggle to embrace His truth. They equate all pathways as being equally good. And they say that when we get, when life on earth is over, we'll get there anyway. Everything will pan out. Just be sincere in your beliefs. And it doesn't matter if the person is Islamic or Buddhist or Hinduist or Christian. We need to all just get on and, and we'll all make it anyway. May I say that that is definitely not Jesus' teaching. May I say that that is not biblical teaching. And I, you cannot call yourself a Christian and hold to that thought. Because Jesus said something. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. Not except through this way or that way and it's all going to pan out in the end. If you're telling that to people, you're withholding the truth from them. And, and you're leading them to a Christless eternity and you're doing nothing. And you will be held accountable by God. Because he said, go into all the world and preach the good news to every creature. This is the way. I am the way. I am the door. I am the vine. I am the, sh- the good shepherd. It's, it's me. It's not others. You see, if there's any other pathway to salvation besides Christ, then God is a bloodthirsty tyrant. He's a butcher who would murder his own son or allow that to happen. He only allowed that to happen because there's no other way. If there's another way, why would he allow that? What kind of a father, a good, good father, allows his son to be killed in that way? If there's another way, you can work it out on your own. Your good works are going to get you there. I'm sorry, but that's not true. And if you embrace the Bible, well, then you've got to say, I believe it all. But, but these atheistic type believers, these, these, are, these are these guys. You know, they, they, they do have Christ present. Okay? I is still firmly on the throne, but Christ is there. He's in their lives. They have an appearance of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. The Satan is still looking around to try to get into the people of the light. He's still trying to dispossess the eye. But these people, they come to our churches and, and, they, and they, they, they hold on to all kinds of wacky theology. That, that I go, hang on, we read the same Bible. And, and your stand on Israel is what? Your stand on euthanasia is what? Your stand on gay marriage is what? You stand on, on, on this and that and all of these troubling issues. Uh, you're trying to please the world and please Christ at the same time. This doesn't work. You know, you, you've got to end the struggle. You know, you, who's sitting on the throne of your life? When Christ is sitting on the throne, these struggles are not there. Because suddenly light has come on. Suddenly your soul has come into contact with reality and you go, you know what, I know I've studied all these different things. I've looked at all of these different angles, but I am convinced. I am convinced because something within me says this is truth. It's not because I read it only in the Bible. It's because something deep down in my soul says this is the truth. And, and it's like you guys that are guitarists, you'll understand this full well, you know. I pick up a guitar and it's a disaster. You know? When it comes to music, my wife says, you know what? You were at the end of the line. Shut up. When God gave out that gift, just don't go there. But somehow, I bought a 12-string guitar many, many years ago when I went off to Bible school. And I thought, I'm going to learn to play the guitar. And that guitar traveled the world with me. And, and I never learned to play the guitar. I, I bled in my fingers. They became calloused. But I just couldn't get this to work. So eventually I gave the guitar to Gabby. And I said, you know what? You have the guitar, 12-string guitar. Four days later, she's playing the guitar. And I was like, that God and I had a hard time right there. You know? Did you tell me to buy a guitar for years later to give it to my daughter? So, but here's something about guitarists. 
guitarists, they know when that chord is right. They pluck, 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 ding, 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 and they know. If they don't know, they have a little instrument that tells them, okay, this is perfect. Okay, it's tuned. That's truth. When, when truth hits me, it's like ding, 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 and something inside of me just says, this is truth. This is truth. You know, don't listen to what this politician tells you. Don't listen to what the majority is pushing in your face. Don't listen to what this book and that book. Don't listen to what your tradition is telling you. Don't even listen to all of your ancestors. You come to a place where if you know that you know that you know this is truth, stand on truth. And then don't vacillate on it. Don't get into a group like I find. So this is a hard time I have with some of our bikers. You know, we're in hardcore rough territory when we reach out to bikers. And we're sitting there with these unbelieving guys and they... And they're chirping off in all directions. And they're a rough bunch. But when they stand on truth and when they deny truth, I say, I'm sorry, but I just don't agree with that. And like everybody, you've just taken on the head of the hell's angels. Are you nuts? <laughs> yep. Speaking nonsense in my book. And I will speak up and all the other guys, oh, man, Ed, you have a gift to do that. No, I don't have a gift. I just refuse to compromise on truth. If it's not truth, it's not truth. You know? So... Pilate really cleared it up very quickly when he asked Jesus, you know, what is truth? Truth was standing right in front of him. That's truth. He was looking at truth and he was asking the question. Now, you and I, we worship him. We exalt him. We talk about the truth. We need to defend the truth all the time. And this world's going to get crazy and crazier, by the way. It's going to get harder and harder to do this stuff. So I challenge you, don't have eye on the throne because if Christ is on that throne, you will defend the truth because inside of you, a voice will, shut up, will cry out. And this voice is like fire shut up in your bones. And it's going to say, no, 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 no. I need to speak. I need to clarify the issue. Amen. In Matthew 23, Jesus said, Woe to you, teachers of the laws and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but inside they are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. And I wonder how God would see many of our churches today with so many people in our churches who are just hypocritical. And then we wonder, why can't we change the world? You see, let me tell you something about this amazing growth that you go, wow, why is Islam growing so much? It's, wow, it's a religion like this. I'm reading the Quran again. It's like, wow, do people actually believe this stuff? It's like, wow, it blows me away. But you know, they are convinced. They've paced everything on it. They say, we will defend this. Many of them, they've never even read it. I speak to Muslims all the time. I teach in the Middle East, and I'm speaking to them. They have never even read it. But I go, they, they've put their stakes down. They've said, this is our anchor, and we will defend this. This is our cause. We will stand by this. And I thought, where are the Christians doing this? We're saying, hey, you know what? We're European. Let them all come. You know, let them believe what they want. Let them strip away our values and impose their way. And we'll just keep quiet. Or do we need to stand up and say something? Do we need to stand up and defend our beliefs before it's too late? Okay, let's move on. Okay, because the time is ticking quite quickly. Okay, the other one I'm going to focus on here. And these are what you call... Not the atheists, but these are what... Let's just go with the screen and you can see it there. Okay? The word L, L in the middle there. These are the deists. These are the people that believe. They practice their faith. These are the people. They're not perfect. They're not perfect, but they strive for perfection. 
They, they practice their faith. They, they, they live to exalt El. Do you know who El is? It's the Hebrew name for God. El. The word actually means might, might, strength, or power. The Hebrews would call God El Shaddai. All-sufficient God. El Elyon, most high God. El Olan, everlasting God. El Yisrael, the God of Israel. And about 20 other El names. One of our favorite in the church, of course, is Emmanuel, God with us. And, and these people, the ones who, ask, who, who, who love El, who, who believe in El, who stand by El, these are the people that say, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done daily. In my home, in my marriage, in my work, wherever I am, Thy kingdom come. There's no fragmentation for these people. There's no compartmentalization. There's no sacred versus secular. There's no my money versus God money, my time versus God time, one day versus another day. These people, they see it as all-encompassing. El is present everywhere. Everything I do, in Him I live and breathe and have my being. It's all about Him. I live for Him. It's a holistic view, you see. And, and why? Because again, here these people, Christ is firmly on the throne. You know, these people, it doesn't mean you stop being Kevin. It doesn't mean you stop being Eddie. I know that's really hard, Kevin. But doesn't mean you stop being Cheryl or Martha or John. Doesn't mean you, you are who you are. Your personality is there. But Christ is firmly in control of your life. Satan continues to go around and he's looking for a way to tear you down. And, and actually, when Christ sits on your throne, expect an intensified attack. So if you say, why, why is everything going wrong? Well, it's obvious. He wants to dethrone Christ. And, and you are such an intimidation to him and his kingdom. You're such a threat that he's going to target you with everything. He's going to send everything against you because he doesn't like people like this with subjected lives, surrendered lives. He hates them because he realizes what they can do to his kingdom. Now, if you look again at that word, El, or rather, I've, it's on there. If you look again, you will notice that, that there's another word there. It's the word Eli or Eli, where, and the name of a great prophet, Eli. The name of, uh, the root name of Eliezer, the root name of Elijah, of Elisha, of Elimelech. You know what Eli means? Tell you what it means. Eli, to extend, to lift up, to exalt God. If you think about it, when Jesus was on the cross, he cried out these words and he said, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. Or in the Aramaic, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. Okay, what was he saying? He was saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In the original form, that word, Eli, is God. It's to exalt God, to lift up God. So, so what should a believer be doing forever? He should be exalting God. A believer should ever be exalting God. Everything is about God. I am crucified, therefore I no longer live. Christ lives in me. He is my Lord. He is my master. You see, that's the big difference between the, 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 the Eli believer and the lie believer. If you can go to the next slide. The Eli believer and the lie, and the lie believer and the lie believer are different. The Elie believer says, you know what? Everything's about him. It's the same three letters, by the way. Just turned around. This guy has L at the front of his life. He has an L-centered life. And if you think about the L-centered life with the L in it, that can be L, God, or it can be L, Lucifer. You see, and when it's L, God, then every facet, every dimension of your life whether it's educational, emotional, relational, social, you name it. You can put physical, you can put anything at all centered in L, God, and it all ends in L. 
This, this, is, this is the our life. Every dimension of my life. Christ is present in everything. I'm centered in Him and I end it. He's the author and He's the finisher. He's my Lord. You know, you can either serve God or mammon. Which Al are you serving? Which Al are we serving in the church today? Al means Lord. You know, where we get the word Yahweh, Jehovah Nisi, the Lord my banner, Jehovah Ra, the Lord my shepherd, Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that heals, Jehovah Shama, the Lord is there, Jehovah Tzedeknu, the Lord my righteousness, Jehovah Jehovah Shalom, the Lord my peace, Jehovah Saboth, the Lord of hosts. And my question today is, is who is our Lord? Who's sitting on the throne of our lives? And I will, I will contend that as, as I travel around the world and as I go from place to place, I often have to look at the church and say, why are we so powerless? Why are we so ineffective? What's wrong with us? That, that, where's the passion? Where's the flame? Where's the fire? Where's the Christ on the throne? Where's the living for Him where it's all about Him? If people look at me on the street and they say, you're different. There's something about you that's different. There's fruit in your life. I look at you. I look at your family. I look at everything about you. There's something there. What is that? I want that for my life. Is it, do we have these owl-centered lives? Is it possible? Some people say, no, that's pie in the sky. It will eventually come. Here I'm just weak. You know, and because we go around saying that and confessing that, that's why we're weak. When you go around saying, but you know what? Christ was perfect, but I'm only human. Well, I'll tell you what the Bible says. The Bible says this. 1 John 4, 17. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as He is, so are we in this world. Enough excuses. As He is, so are we. How is He? Well, He's perfect. He's righteousness. He's holy. He's awesome. We worship Him. As he is, but so are we in this world. Amen. So it's it, never say that. Oh, I'm just human. I'm just weak. Don't confess what Satan wants you to confess. You know, tell 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 him what he, you, he needs to hear. You know, I am Christ-like. I am the image, the reflection of Christ on this earth. You know, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Look at my life and try to imitate my life. Strive to be like me. Oh, Pastor Eddie, should we say that? Yes, Paul said it all the time, you know, and, and Christ said it. In fact, Christ even went one further. Christ said, you know, you guys, you're so awesome, you're going to do greater things than me. Yeah. My word, you guys are going to blow things away because I'm going to send my spirit upon you. And when my spirit comes upon you, my word, look what you are, the potential. So, folks, I want to close by saying this, okay? In the back, you've, I've got a just seven of my books. I don't know if you've ever read it. It's called From Chaos to Christ-likeness. Chaos to Christ-likeness. And basically in it, I, I identify seven stages of spiritual development to move out of chaos and become like Christ. Okay? And I identify this one stage that's called conflict, which seems to paralyze everyone. It's a stage that comes to all of our lives as Christians where, where we get the wind knocked out of us, where the faith gets knocked out of us, where we go through struggles and we say, where are you, God? What's happening in my life? Why are people dying? Why did this one die? Why did that accident happen? Why don't you hear me? Why, why is he fighting with me? Why is my church letting me down? Why did that happen in my relationship? Why there was there a divorce? And all of these conflicts will come to every one of us. There's nobody that's immune to this conflict. I interviewed 368 leaders in six nations to come up with the research for that. And I found out that every single leader had been through conflict in their lives multiple times. Multiple times. And many of those leaders that you'll read about they went right back to chaos. Instead of progressing to become like Jesus Christ, they didn't quite make it. 
And today they populate leaders, our churches. They lead our churches and they are stagnated in their spiritual walk. They haven't become like Christ. They're paralyzed in some inferior uh, um, step of development. And if that's true of leadership, imagine the church. So my challenge to you is it's time for us to move on down the river. That's what the analogy, the analogy is the river. Move on down the river. Be, go to the ocean. Become immersed. Become embraced by the ocean. That's your destination. Be like Christ in this world. I want to be like that. I want us to be like that. I want Riverside to be like that. Because we could make a serious dent in Kashkais. We could make a serious dent in Lisbon. We could make a serious dent here in the junction in Aberdeen. If only we would raise up with one holy passion and say, Lord, enough excuses. Enough for the past. I'm, I'm moving on to become like you. I want to imitate you. I want you on my throne. And, and I want to put all other things aside. It's, it's about you. I believe we're living in times where soon we'll see you return. And, and, and if the world is getting more and more evil, well, I'm going to get more and more Eli. I'm going to be worshiping you forever and ever. And I don't care what they brand me. They can call me a fanatic. They called you that too. I can call me whatever they want, but I'm going to live for you wholeheartedly. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or you'd like to find out contact information or service times, then don't forget to visit our website, www.junctionchurch.com. God bless.